Everybody can funnel back in. We're going we're gonna to get started. We're still uh, uh, in our third week of our mini-series in Luke 12, uh, where we're wrestling with the foolish way of Jesus, all in direct opposition to the world's reasoning and the world's sensibilities. If I, if I, were, if I were to try to identify like one root of the whole four weeks together, it is this idea of the trustworthiness of God. Is God trustworthy or not? Uh, because you can, you can say with your lips that God is trustworthy, but live a life that does not actually trust Him. Um, and so the, the, it is this, this four-week series talking about what a life that actually is rooted in the trustworthiness of, of God might actually look like. That our lives should occasionally look peculiar. And the world may see you as a fool, uh, but, but part of the irony of even the title, the, the, this foolish way of Jesus, is that the way of Jesus will look like foolishness to the sensibilities of this world, but He is every single week exposing the true folly of the way of the world, the foolishness of the way of this world. And sometimes you will look like a fool. You might even be told that you're a fool from family or friends who look at your life and some of the decisions that you make. And, some, and your, your visceral response sometimes when your family or friends call you a fool, when somebody looks at the way that you follow Jesus and calls you a fool, your visceral response is to try to defend yourself. And sometimes you simply cannot defend yourself. You just embrace and you say, yes, yes, I am a fool. We've talked about our fear. We've talked about specifically uh, uh, the first week's social fear, the fear of persecution. Last week, Brian talked to us about how how generosity uh, 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 leads to relationships, community, and life, but, but greed will actually lead to total isolation. It'll hurt you. It'll ruin you. And today we're going to wrestle with worry and anxiety, uh, uh, words that we use interchangeably, sometimes interchangeably with fear, and, and sometimes I, I think that's okay, but we're going to talk about the specifics of worry and anxiety and how they apply to, to the, the makeup of your life, clothes, food, shelter, success, the ability to provide for yourself. Uh, and so we're going to wrestle this morning with worry, anxiety, and the trustworthiness of God. So we're in, in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Uh, that, that text is on the, the paper that you brought in, and we're going to give you an opportunity, just like we do every week, to study that text on your own, to take your time chewing on it, to get with a few others around you and, and, and talk through the text a little bit before we get together as a whole group. So give me a moment to pray for us, and then uh, I'll free you to read. Lord, we, we come under the truth and authority of your word today. We come underneath the, the inspiration of your word today. And God, we invite you to shape us by it. God, would you, would you fill us with curiosity uh, uh, about what you say? Would you fill us with curiosity about what you want to say to us, not then when these words were written, but even today, right now? And would you give us the courage, the openness, the eyes, the ears, the heart to receive it? and to go away different, to go away changed. We love you. It's in your name. Amen. Take a moment to read the text. Okay. 
finish up your final thoughts. We got a couple uh, mic runners. Looks like JP's got one and Joe's has one. What are your, you know, share, share not just with me, but with the community. What are your, some of your main takeaways, your thoughts, some of the stuff you talked about? Hey, Lucas. Yeah. So this passage, honestly, it makes me mad. Um, because <laughs> it just does. Good, and good, it, good. it talks good, about, you know, don't you, I care more about you than birds. And, and don't worry, your father knows what you need and he'll give it to you. But where is he in Puerto Rico? Right. Where is yes. he in the Congo or Sudan or just insert yeah. name of place? Right. Where is he? He's not right. providing food or water or clothes. Right. So this passage, it just ah, makes me mad. It is. It is complexing. Suff- suffering has a tendency to complicate a lot of passages that we would prefer to treat with simplicity. And the, uh, the privileged will always interpret the Bible with a level of simplicity that the suffering cannot. Um, and so it is important, actually, to, to consider how there are places in the world. You know, one of the, I was reading this week, um, a comment, again, one of my favorite commentaries on this is Justo Gonzalez. And he made this, he made this observation that a lot of times when we read this text, we can come away with the interpretation that food uh, and clothing are not important. That uh, don't worry about those things because they're not important. They're not important to God. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be that important to you. But actually, the only people who interpret this text this way are people who live in the abundance of clothes and food and come away thinking, it's not important. Don't give it the value that, that you always give it. When actually, God himself in the text says he, j- he knows how important it is, and he provides it for the ravens, and he provides it for the grass and for flowers. It's not that it's not important. He knows that it's important. He knows that you need it. The reality is that he, you can trust him to provide what you need. But you're, when you're in oppressed communities, when you experience stuff like that, there are moments, seasons even, when you're sitting back and you're wondering, okay, I trust you, Lord, but there is nothing here that I need. <laughs> Where is the food? Where is the clothes? Uh, and we have to take that into consideration. And as is the case with any uh, uh, question of suffering, um, I, I would, I, in this setting, I would be careful to offer quick and easy answers, and I will not, because those who do offer quick and easy answers for the question of suffering, those people are in Job, and they are scorned by God for trying to do so. Uh, so it is a problem, and it is one that we should wrestle with, exactly like that. Other observations? We got one back here. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking when you were talking that we, um, Jesus is actually talking to an oppressed people group. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're an occupied people. Yes. Um, so that's, that's always interesting to yes. remember that, that context. Yeah. But um, just a couple of conditional statements. Like, if you seek the kingdom, you get these things. Right. So, like, implied is, like, if you don't seek the kingdom, then that, I don't you know, don't, you may yeah, or may not get, get those things. Right, right. Um, and then, the, the, you know, just the idea of, like, you sell your treasure, you sell your possessions, and you actually get a treasure. Mm. You know, but it's a treasure in heaven. It's it's different, but you're you're basically there. It, there are these exchanges yes. that are happening. Yeah. These conditional ex- exchanges. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think that it's, it is important to realize exactly like he just said, that, that the people he is talking to aren't oppressed people. And part of, part of, part of the difficulty of this text to say, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to worry about prov- like food and clothes for myself, and therefore I'm not going to go like being greedy and damaging people to get what's mine. That's because you can trust God to provide for you what is yours, what you need. Part of why it's hard is because in order to live that out in a way that's comfortable for everyone, it is a social vision. Like if I choose to like obey this text, but nobody else around me does, it's like, well, this isn't cool. (laughs) This isn't cool. Uh, I'm trying to obey God and you guys are all taking everything. So, uh, and it is a, it is a social vision that he's imparting to the people. Um, to, to go from a scarcity mentality, take what's mine, to, to live in the abundance of God and to not have a perception of what you deserve, but to receive with gratitude anything that you are given, even a little, uh, and, th- and therefore to live in the abundance of God. One or two more. Gigi, is it Gigi? Yeah. Um, I saw that Jesus said that he concluded was he said that the Father was pleased to give us the kingdom. So that is God's ultimate heart's desire. He really doesn't want to make us poor or starve for food or drink or anything else. But Jesus was saying, but the focus is being distorted. Uh, in a society we live in today, we always focus on our future, study hard, work hard. Yes. I lived in New York City, and I saw people were like racing for one thing, how much money I'm going to make. Right. So, um, but Jesus was saying, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and, and all this, these yeah. things will be added into you. Yeah. Yeah. And... Well, the focus has to be corrected here. He was giving us the direction that God's heart desire is first to have a relationship with us. And all these things, he already told us he's pleased to give it to us. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there is no need to struggle for it. Yes. And then he took it farther in another level when he said, uh, don't consider about the treasure in your heaven is going to be uh, the stores and, yeah. and gold and silver and all that because in heaven is not what the treasure is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, it's, and we're going to talk about it a lot, a lot today, this distortion of, of this, the orientation of the self. It's carried through the last three or four weeks. We're going to talk about it a little bit more today. The absorption with the self and the invitation of God to actually be self-forgetful, which is to seek first the kingdom. Um, which has implications for the self, but is largely this, this uh, uh, invitation to be concerned outside of yourself, to, to, to give yourself outside of yourself. If you let me, if you let me jump in, I, um, I bought a house on Friday, small thing, very casual, just went by Target to get a jug of milk and came home with a house, that Target that target it gets you the house is on lake avenue and i'm trying really hard not to call it the lake house out of respect for the lake house ogs in the room i don't want to do that to you uh clo- the the closing was on friday afternoon at, at, we were supposed to be there at two o'clock 
and I was late. The closing was in this office in South Tampa, and so I'm trying to get down there from up here. I was a few minutes late, so I was like driving like a crazy person. Got there a few minutes after two, and my wife was there already, and she was sitting in this uh, conference room, and I and the on the conference table is this plate of warm cookies and a, and a couple bottles of water. Um, and she's sitting there by herself, and I come in, and I sit down, and the moment I sit down, I realize it's 2 o'clock, and I haven't ate lunch. I just, things were crazy, I just didn't get to eat lunch, and I, and I suddenly realize how hungry I am. I'm very hungry. And at the same time, I'm about to sign my name 30 times on all these documents that are confusing and make, like, this major commitment, so I'm a little bit on the edge here, and I just start stress-eating these cookies. <laughs> and uh, I get, like, three cookies in, and suddenly the cookies into the empty stomach happens, right? The, which is not such a good situation. So the, the mess of sugar getting to your stomach, and I start realizing, oh, this was a horrible decision. And I grab the bottle of water and just start guzzling the bottle of water to maybe help it. And my wife is probably just like, what, <laughs> what is going on? What are you doing? What is going on? And this woman walks into the conference room, and she says, are you Lucas and Jamie? And we're like, yeah, we're ready to go. And she's like, oh, we're not ready for you. Uh, uh, paperwork's not ready, probably won't be ready till like 4 o'clock if you just want to go like sit somewhere and wait or whatever. Uh, and I was furious, but, uh, you know, held it in, and we got up, and we were leaving, and as we were leaving, uh, there's like a, another, another couple that's going to come, and I realized I just hammered all the cookies and water for someone else's closing, someone else's situation. <laughs> Later, we, we, we go and we sit, we sit around for two hours waiting for this thing, and I you know, tried to redeem that wasted two hours, do a little work, and eventually we come back, and I'm going through, I'm going through every initialing so many times, and she, she's explaining every page, and every single page that goes by, at the beginning, I'm, I'm good, just, it's fine, let's get this through, and halfway through, I start like asking a little more questions, I was just like, what does this one mean again, what is going on here? And I was just, I was, I don't know, it takes me a while to process these things called feelings. And uh, so I've been thinking about it more since. I was just getting a little bit more tense or, or stressed out. And, uh, you know, part of it is because there's just this exhausting list of things to be worried about with a house, right? And I think I was, I was sitting there thinking about, you know, is the plumbing going to fall apart? Because we know that the plumbing is 50 years old and it's like rotting from the inside out. And is it going to, is it going to, po- is the water going to poison us slowly through that plumbing? Is the, there's this huge tree in the front yard that's tearing apart the driveway and it's just mad. It looks like it, it looks like it belongs in, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings or something. And it, I'm like, is the tree going to fall on our house the, right after I sign this? Is it going to destroy the driveway? Am I going to have to cut it down? Is it going to cost like 20 grand to cut it down? Uh, is, is there's no there's no like fence on the porch? Is Landon gonna fall off the porch and crack his head open? Is 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 he gonna get poison ivy in the overgrown backyard that hasn't been touched for five years? Are there snakes living back there? Is is he gonna? It's on Lake Avenue, which is a busy street. Is he just gonna run out one day into the road and get hit by a car or something like that? 
uh, it, the school across the street, Lockhart Elementary School, it just got merged with Robert E. Lee uh, Elementary School because Robert E. Lee caught fire a couple weeks ago. So there's like twice as many students in there. So uh, is the street going to be crazy every single day at 8 o'clock and 4 o'clock? Am I not going to be able to get out of my driveway at 8 and I'm not going to be able to get in at 4 o'clock? Am I going to have to sit on the road every day, twice a day for uh, who knows how long? W will our neighbors like us? Are they going to blast music until 3 a.m.? Because when you, j just like when you get married, you're, you're also marrying the family. When you buy a house, you're also buying the neighbors. It's like a non-negotiable thing in the contract. Are my neighbors a good investment on the house? The inspector didn't check the neighbors. Are the neighbors going to be like crazy, insane? Is it going to like ruin my experience? Did, did the inspector uh, miss anything at all? Was the electric done right? Is the house going to catch fire tomorrow? Is, is there lead paint in the walls? Are the walls toxic? Is the house going to kill us? Were there mice in the attic? Are there rats in the walls? Are there snakes or rodents in the, in the, the crawl space? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the answer is yes. Thank you. I receive, I receive. We often use worry and anxiety, these two words, we use these concepts interchangeably. And, and to an extent today, I, I'm going to use them interchangeably a little bit too, but I do want to just recommend a couple of the subtle differences uh, between worry and anxiety, this, this, this limited amount of things for us to worry about and be anxious about when it comes to any decision we have to make, any circumstance we have to step into, this bottomless amount. We tend to experience worry in our heads, but anxiety in our bodies. Amen? Uh, worry tends to be specific, while anxiety tends to be diffused. Uh, we might worry about an upcoming exam, exam, but you'll have anxiety about being a failure. You might worry about getting to the airport on time, but you're anxious about traveling. Worry you experience through verbal thoughts, but anxiety includes mental imagery. Worry a lot of times you're just thinking in your, in your head uh, through these kind of like reasonable logical outplays of what might happen. Uh, but, but when you're anxious about something, the, the verbal play in your, your head starts to include imagery. You start to imagine what it'll be like. Some of you who have leaned toward worry and anxiety, you're like, oh my gosh, let's not talk about this. <laughs> let's have a better morning than this. Worry often triggers problem solving, but anxiety does not. Worry, while you're thinking it through, you're also trying to think, well, I could do this, or I could do this, or, or you know, we could, do, we could make this decision, or this path. But anxiety, you're just paralyzed, and there's nothing to do. This is just going to happen. I'm just barreling toward failure, or disaster, or suffering, or pain. Um, worry is caused by more realistic outcomes than anxieties. Anxiety has far more impact on personal and professional functioning than worry. The medical world considers worry a normative psychological state, but considers anxiety over a persistent time uh, a medical dis health disorder. Worry and anxiety are such pervasive experiences in our time and considered a growing epidemic by the mental health field, especially in the Western world. It's always there, it's always lingering, it's always ready to pounce on you. And while the details of this passage are about food and clothes, these are the examples that Jesus starts to hash out, the divine command and pastoral invitation from Jesus in this passage is do not worry about your life. And he chooses to deal with such details like food and clothes, which were extremely important at the time and transcendently important through time, but there might be other things 
that we could talk about, which would be just as important. Do not worry about your life. You see, worry makes lots of promises, lots and lots of promises, but never delivers on those promises. Worry promises to preserve your life, promises to secure your life, promises to extend your life, promises to give you control over your life, promises you an eventual life without worry, to step into a reality of life that does not anymore require worry. But what Jesus is pointing out, what Jesus is exposing is that worry cannot deliver on its most simple promise to you. Who of you can add an hour, a minute, a second to your life? And if you can't do that basic thing, if, if, if worry, the thing that worry promises you, if it cannot fulfill its most basic thing to extend your life even by a second, why worry about the rest? Why consider, give it the credence of the rest? I love the, the Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And uh, part of the reason why I love that book is because it's unique depiction of the afterlife. If you haven't read it, it's very short. I would recommend you go read it this week. It's an amazing, an amazing narrative and picture of the afterlife. The, the, I won't, if you go, go read it, no spoilers, but I'll just explain to you the plot. They, this, uh, the, the, the main character travels to um, the, what they call the gray place or the gray town, which is, in the story, it is hell. And in that place is all these characters who are, who are described as ghosts. And every single character has a primary vice that they carry with them, uh, like greed or anger or, or, or bitterness, bitterness or, or arrogance or lust. They have this primary vice, and just in dialoguing with them, you, you discover what this vice is. And, and every so often, there's a bus that comes to the gray, the gray place, the gray town, and picks up a, a, a crew of ghosts, and they go on an excursion or a vacation, and where they go to is heaven. And when they get there, and they get off the bus, and they're looking around in the, the, the woods and the, the beauty of heaven... They're encountering certain things and they're encounter, encountering certain characters, uh, uh, angels and other characters, that are every, every angel is, is actually inviting them to stay. Will you stay? Will you stay? But in the dialogue, inviting them to stay, uh, the, you realize what has to happen is they have to give up that vice. They have to part with that vice to stay. But that vice is calling them back to the great place. And they can't stay with it. They, can't, they have to choose between the vice that they have, the way, the, this thing that they, they have, or, or the way they are, or something like that. They have to choose between that and staying. And uh, they, they encounter this character not, named Ike. And Ike is worried. His, his primary vice is, is materialism, but it's a little bit more than that. He's, he's worried about providing for himself providing him for himself in the gray place. And when they travel to, when they travel to heaven in, in, uh, further along in the book, they come across, with Ike, they crum come across this tree with golden apples. And, and the, the angels are trying to convince Ike, you should, you should stay, you should enjoy these, you should learn to eat these apples and, and, and learn to enjoy kind of uh, this place. And the only thing Ike wants to do is take the golden apples back to the gray place and sell them and he, in order to provide for himself. 
in order to like make a little bit of money, in order to, 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 to have a little bit of an enterprise. He's an entrepreneur. He was so worried about how to provide for himself. And eventually, the, the characters in talking with him, I just wrote down this dialogue that they had. Uh, the, 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 the person who's kind of watching everything play out, he says, I was saddened by this unhappy creature, Ike, when I saw him stagger to his feet, actually holding the smallest of all the apples in his hands, which was the only one he could carry. It was all he could carry, and he was disfigured from the hurts. The weight bent him double. Yet even so, inch by inch, he set out on his enterprise to the bus, carrying his torture. They said, you fool, put it down. You cannot take it with you. There is not room for it in hell. There is not room for it. Stay here and learn to eat such apples. The very leaves and blades of grass in the wood will delight to teach you. And whether the ghost heard it or not, I do not know. But after pausing for a moment, Ike braced himself anew for his agonies and continued on, carrying his torture. You see, even the things that you receive, every meal, every piece of clothing, every day of shelter, Every single thing residing in that thing is the possibility of heaven or hell. Depending on your, your disposition of deservedness and clawing for it and grabbing for it and worrying for it and anxiously pleading for it and grabbing for it, or your trust, your, your trust in God to deliver it, to receive it with gratitude. Inside every single thing in the abundance of God that you receive is the possibility for it to be a gift to you or for, it to, for you to carry your torture in the receiving of it. And in the case of Ike, worry, worry only gets worse when you think you deserve certain standards. When worry becomes less about the avoidance of pain or suffering or death, but preserving a certain standard of life, gaining a certain standard of life that you think you deserve, it becomes so much worse. And the gem of this text, for me, in, in wrestling with it this week, the gem of this text is not just that Jesus offers this pastoral command, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. But he also offers an instruction manual on how to get there. Excellent, super. I love instructional manuals. To step one, step two. Because here's the struggle. When, you are, when you're someone, and you tell me if you agree, this is my guess, when, you, when you're someone who like, uh, uh, str like is constantly bending toward worry or anxiety, isn't there a bit of a paralysis to get out of it? An inability to get out of it? Not that I've ever been there, not that I've ever experienced such things, but when you're in it, when you're in it, and you know, you read the text, you, you, you experience worry, and you're like, God, I know I shouldn't be worried, and you get your Bible out, and you go to Luke 12, and you read it three times, and then you pray for an hour, God, make me not worry, help me not to worry, help me not to worry, and you stop praying for an hour, and you're still worried. You're still worried. And there's this paralysis about how do I actually get out of this anxiety, this paralysis. Well, guess what? Great news. Jesus offers us a really, a, a really easy-to-follow instruction manual. It's very simple. Um, if, you, if you care at all about that, if you care at all about that, here's it, here it is. Seek first the kingdom and everything will be added to you. That's great. It's good. Are we done? Are we done? See, JP, okay, we're good. We're good. Seek first the kingdom and everything will be added to you. The antidote to the sickness of worry is mission. The vaccine 
for the, the epidemic of anxiety is mission. Do you guys know the company L.L. Bean? I did not, I had never heard of this company. I don't know why. Did, uh, they make clothes and what do they make? Everything? I don't know anything of L.L. Bean. Clothes, camping supplies? Columbia. It's like Columbia. Okay, if you know what that is, it's like Columbia. I don't know what they sell. I just read a bunch this week about this unique policy they have. L.L. Bean carries this thing that most consumer product companies do not have. It's called the Lifetime Satisfaction Guarantee. Lifetime Satisfaction Guarantee. Now, that might sound familiar because you've probably heard a bunch of companies say that to you in commercials or in person. Liars! <laughs> Lifetime Satisfaction Guarantee. And you might bring that thing back and say, I'm not satisfied. And there's going to be all kinds of... They never put that on a policy. They never put that in, 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 in little writing. And usually you, there's only a certain amount that they can do for you or there's like a time limit on it. It's not really a lifetime. It's like a subjective determination of lifetime. Like six months feels like a lifetime. That's when you can... If you're not satisfied, you can return it. But L.L. Bean has a, a legit, pure, on the books lifetime satisfaction guarantee. So you can have something for, you can use something up for 12 years and have it just be some nasty piece of nothing that doesn't even work. And you can take it to them and they're going to ask you, were you satisfied? And all you have to do is say no and they'll give you your money back. And some of you in your mind right now are scanning your house. Do I have anything... <laughs> from L.L. Bean. Do I have anything from L.L. Bean? The attic? Is there anything up there from L.L. Bean? And I listened, this last week, I listened to a podcast where they went and interviewed five or six people who work, either currently or in the past, in the returns department of L.L. Bean. And the, what they were doing was just trying to get these people's experience of working in the returns department. And there's so much turnover in the returns department of L.L. Bean because it's such an emotionally taxing work environment. Because all day, every day, you have to stand across a little desk from people, and you, and you, have, to, you have to ask, you know, ask them, you know, what did you get here? What is this thing? And then you look up the code or whatever in the computer, and all you have to ask, when you work in that, at that desk, you say, were you satisfied with your purchase? And all they have to say is, no, I was not, and you have to take it in. And what would happen is people, people are, I mean, they listed all this crazy stuff that people return. I mean, some of this stuff was... A guy, a guy returned a 35-year-old shirt. 35 years. And it looked like he'd worn it like every day. Some rips and some holes and some stains. Brings it in and they look up the code and they can see when he bought it in the computer. This thing is 35 years old. And they just turn to him with a straight face and say, were you satisfied with your purchase? And he, and he just looks right back, no, I was not. <laughs> and they have to accept that return. And they, these, you interview these people, and they say, I mean, they have amazing experiences. I mean, sometimes they have people bring something in because they know that policy's on the books. They bring something in. They've used it for like five or six years. They put it on the desk, and they'll, the, 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 they, they would tell stories. They would look these people in the eye and say, were you satisfied with your purchase? And the person would sit there and struggle and struggle and then just say, oh, I was, I can't do this and then take it and like go home. Like they, they like come to the moment like, 
I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Oh, I love this shirt. I can't tell you. Oh, I love it. I'm sorry I wasted your time. And so they have some people like come to grips with like honesty and like, oh, I did like it. I, I can't do this. But then they have a lot of people who just like, who, who just look at them straight in, the, straight in the face and just say, no, I was not. They had a 35-year-old shirt. They had, they had 15-year-old steel-toed work boots that were covered in tar, absolutely covered in tar. This is, the, the, in my mind, the worst one. They had 10-year-old wool uh, slippers. Now think, just think, guys, just think. Wool slippers is the worst invention anyone's ever come up with. You put those things on for two seconds, and your feet are sweating. And foot sweat is the worst substance that this world can produce. Ten years, ten years of foot sweat. And somebody had to handle those. There was a guy who returned a half-eaten cookie ten minutes after he bought it. Are you satisfied with this purchase? No, I am not. I am not satisfied. (laughs) kept asking these people how long they worked there, how long they were involved. All these people just, just said the same thing. They, it, it was such a hard place to work, and not many people make it very long, and they want to get out of there because they all feel like all they're doing all day is enabling liars. All day, enabling liars. But as I was listening to it, I was just thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. People are coming, and they may be returning stuff for the wrong motives, I mean, they may be like a little bit manipulative or vindictive, but not a, if you're asking the question, were you satisfied by this purchase? And their answer is no. Not a single one of those people is lying. You, you've created a policy that, that is self-defeating. The, 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 the thinking behind that policy is that L.L. Bean can produce, has the arrogance to think that they can produce products that satisfy a human person. The depths, the soul of a human life. So everything, in my mind, theologically, every single person who comes back and says, yes, I was satisfied, you're lying. You were not fully satisfied by that product. And everybody who comes in and says, no, I was not satisfied at the core of who I am with this shirt. <laughs> true, true. This is the great scandal of worry. Every single worry that you entertain promises you lifetime satisfaction guaranteed. You give into that worry a little bit, and eventually over time it'll ask you, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? And the answer is always no. Always. And the worries never end. There's more and more. What is the opposite of worry? What is the antithesis of worry? It is contentment. It is satisfaction. But the road to contentment is mission. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the fruition of God's will and reign in you and in the world. And all these other things will be added to you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago that worry, the action, the activity of worry flows from a life of self-absorption. Of gazing upon the self. Worry is the action of a life that is absorbed by the self. But mission by nature requires removal. From the self. Mission is the action, the outflow of a life that is absorbed by the kingdom, that is mastered by Jesus. And all the things that will be added to you, it's, listen, it's not just clothes and food and a house that's, that's added to you, it's contentment. 
satisfaction and joy in the abundance of God. In the abundance of God. Freedom from worry and a life that is truly life in the abundance of God. And you might be like intensely worried or anxious about getting certain things or being in a certain place in life. And then you surrender your life to the mission of God. And listen, later on, a lot of those things you were worried about, they're not going to be added to you. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying every single thing you worried about, it's okay. The way to get that thing is to just serve Jesus, give your life to the mission of God, love people, serve people. And those things will be added. God knows that you, you need those things. Of course, He agrees with every single thing you think you need. And He'll give you all those things. No, no, no. What will happen is you've got things that you might worry about, you might be anxious about, things that you want to receive or a way of life that you want to be in or or certain things you want to like comfort or protection from. And when you surrender yourself to the leadership of Jesus and start to step in the purposes of God in the world, you actually start to, to, to not want half the things you were worried about, to not be concerned about half the things you were concerned about, and you start to grow in contentness and gratitude for the things that you have the things that you already that God has already given you that you were ever never actually grateful for in the first place sometimes and you start to care less not because those worries were met but because they were baseless you didn't need them you probably remember there's this interaction Jesus has with the disciples when he's kind of he's kind of having this conversation with the woman at the well and the disciples are coming back from a town and they're they're approaching him and um, there's a huge crowd uh, uh, that, that is eventually going to be coming their way. And they're coming to him saying, look, Jesus, we, they've got some bread. They're like, we haven't ate in a while. I don't know if we're going to have a chance to eat in a while. And honestly, they were a little uncomfortable that he was having this conversation with the woman and they were trying to just avoid that. And, they, and so they were like, listen, they were really worried. Like, we got to eat. Uh, we might not have a chance to eat. Um, and so come over here and eat this with us. And he turns to them and he says, what does he say? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm satisfied, I'm content, because I know a different type of food. I know a different, I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about providing for myself in this way. Because I'm content, I'm satisfied, because I know a different kind of food. It is to do the will of him who sent me. Seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The things you need, they'll be added to you. The antidote to worry is mission. The vaccine to the epidemic of anxiety is mission. Worship team, if you guys come up. When I sat at that table Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock, for 30 minutes, signing my name, I don't know how many times, writing my initials, I don't know how many times, for a moment I was worried about the porch and about the street and about the plumbing and about the electric and about the roof and about the yard and about the tree But what I was really worried about, what was beneath the surface of all of that, is that I was worried if God was with us. I was worried if if He wanted this for us. I was worried if if we get into this house, will the kingdom come? Or are we or are we not hearing him right? Are we doing something that we want to do? Is God with us? We had, when we, when we first kind of put an offer on the house, we had this 10-day contingency window where we could jump out at any time penalty-free. So we had 10 days to kind of decide. 
if we want to pursue this or not. So every, every day for 10 days, Jamie and I were just praying like, God, if this is what you want for us, if this is what you have for us, then, you know, let this, let this happen the, the, the way it's supposed to, tell, t- you know, g- speak through the clouds or, or, or give us a clear sign or, or, or help us feel that ethereal feeling of peace that sometimes people feel about things and, you know, just t- t- tell us, tell us, we need to know, we need to know. And if it's not for us, if, if we're not supposed to be in here and you're not going to be with us, if you're not going to go with us and if we're not supposed to have, like, uh, make the inspection go terrible or, or burn the house down or I don't, uh, make, tell us not to or have, have people, a, bunch of, a whole bunch of people tell us not to or, or something. Make it clear that we're not supposed to get it. And for 10 days, we felt more and more and more confident about the house not because it was a great deal or a great price and not because the inspection went well because some of you know that inspection went terrible. There's a bunch of problems with the house. But because for 10 days, my heart was every day opening to the mission. That house is just like a block away from, it's in East Tampa, it's a block away from this, this residential uh, area called Belmont Heights Estates. And the, the house is just like half a block away from, from Belmont Heights Estates. And I found myself over those 10 days, every time I was going, coming home, I would go out of my way just to drive through Belmont Heights Estates. Just take corners and just see people. And there's like a little park in the middle and there's a boys and girls club on the north side I didn't even know about. And I was just, and, and you know, just seeing some of these, some of the place, some of the neighbors outside talking with each other. And, and I just found myself like almost toward the end of that 10 days, just without, without even making the internal decision, I would just turn left on MLK for no reason and go all the way down to drive through Belmont Heights Estates. I found myself starting to do research online about Belmont Heights Estates and the, the history and when it was built and why it was built and what people's experiences are like and, and statistics and all this stuff. And then we start, I started to dream about Belmont Heights Estates. And being in life with people there and relationships with people there and loving people there and having a, having a life that's integrated with people there and opening our home to people there and our, our son playing in that park and, and us you know, being a presence in that boys and girls club and just being around and us getting to know some of the leaders in that community and just co-laboring with them for, for, to, to, to see the kingdom come in that place. It's this thing we call calling dreams about the kingdom of God, the stirring of dreams, the heart for those dreams, the giving of passion to those dreams, and in the end, the submission of a life to pursue those things that God is giving you, putting on your heart, putting on your mind. Sitting at that table, signing my name, I think the core of my question that was coming out in a lot of other fears, the core of my question is, will the kingdom actually come or not? Will God be with us or not? You see, sometimes seeking the kingdom, those of you who lead microchurches in here, sometimes seeking the kingdom instead of delivering us from worry becomes its own source of worry, does it not? Will you see fruit? Will you be received? Will God break in? Is he with us? And that's why I think this word, this, this sentence, which has been 
on me all week, and I just think it's a word for us this morning to receive, that right after he says, seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added to you, he almost predicts the thoughts inside of his current audience and the thoughts through history. But do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock. For the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. Cast your anxieties on him because he loves you and has held nothing from you, not even the kingdom. Don't worry, not just because he cares for you, not just because he, he, he'll provide what you need, but don't worry because he loves the people to whom you've been sent to serve and live. He loves them more than you ever could and can provide for them more than you could ever be willing or able the antidote to worry is mission. The escape hatch from your anxiety is mission. So every time you're worried, you can do it this week, every single time you find yourself in, in some kind of cycle of worry and anxiety, stop, stop it, and find someone else to love or serve. The next time you're worried about clothing and how you'll clothe yourself or your, or your spouse or your kids, find someone else to clothe. The next time you're worried about what you'll eat, find someone else to feed. The next time you're worried about failing that test or exam, organize a study session for your whole floor, your whole class. The next time you're worried about violent crime on your block, you pray over every house on that block, yours last. The next time you're worried about your financial future, you find someone else to invest in. The next time you're worried or anxious about God's love for you and your insecurity about your worth to Him, you find someone else to proclaim over the love of God, the value of God for them. The antidote to worry is mission. Seek first the kingdom. And these other things will be added to you. Jesus went to the cross to secure for you and to invite you into and to usher into the world the kingdom. So this morning as we come to the table, it is a moment to receive that word from Jesus as a whole community. Do not worry, little flock, for the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. The Father is pleased. It is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. When you eat it, eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, poured it out, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, you drink it in remembrance of me. So this morning we come. We come potentially with worries and anxieties. And you come and you remember the lengths to which God went to secure for you the kingdom and it is his pleasure to give it to you and you come away from the table not with those worries and those anxieties but you come away with calling you come away with purpose you come away to seek first the kingdom of God in your life and in the people he's called you to when you're ready the elements given for you